All right, let's take our Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. And Matthew chapter 24 in one hand. And then also Luke. Luke chapter 21 in the other. Matthew chapter 24 and Luke chapter 21. And we're going to look at Luke chapter 21 first. And it's something that he said to his disciples as he was telling him about these last day events. Now, remember, specifically, specifically, Christ is talking to his disciples about the tribulation period, subsequently the great tribulation period, and his second advent, his return to this earth. Now, we know as members of the church, the body of Christ, we're not going through the tribulation period. This current dispensation that we're in, this church age, will end when our Lord Jesus Christ comes and takes the church out at the rapture, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and Titus chapter 2. But a lot of the things that will be taking place during the tribulation will start to get ramped up before the tribulation. And I think if we've had our eyes open uh, the last few years especially, that's pretty obvious with what's going on in our world and in our country and all around us. So what the Lord says to his disciples who are anticipating these things that are going to take place, and I, I would say to use the current vernacular, uh, what's going on now will be on steroids during that period of time. He says this, verse 19, a short statement but a very important one. In your patience, possess ye your souls. Notice that word patience. I just got to tell you that I'm not a big fan of patience. All right? I'm one of these guys that could stand in front of a microwave and yell at it to go faster. <laughs> um, I'm just not wired that way. But it's something we need because let's face it, life doesn't always uh, go at the pace we want it to go. And um, I've told you before, most of my, my, uh, most of my struggles with prayer have been timing struggles. Hasn't been what the Lord uh, said by way of, of answering the prayer, but uh, the timing. I, I tend to be in a hurry. And what the Lord says here is very important. In your patience, possess ye your souls. And uh, that, that's part of the reason we're looking at this study in Matthew chapter 24, so we can put some context to what's going on around us, understand where it's going, and realize once and for all that God told us ahead of time what was going to happen. That we shouldn't be surprised, or as the word is often used in the New Testament, amazed that these things are going on. God said it was going to go that way. And uh, really, in, in, the, in, in the broadest sense of things, nothing's really going wrong. A sovereign God is in control. Uh, I mean, in the macro, that's, that's how it looks at 35,000 feet. Now, on the ground, we understand that there's all kinds of stuff uh, going haywire. But I'm just saying, God, uh, God said it would happen. He, he gives us prophecies so we could be comforted and, and know that God's still in control. And, and listen, here's, here's really what's going on, folks. You really want to know what's going on in this world today. 
This is one of the devil's four big uh, pushes to usurp God's throne. The first one is in Isaiah chapter 14 when he tried to assert himself. And and by the way, he was cast out and, and he took a third of the angels with him. I don't know if you ever looked at it this way, but God had a church split and a third of the church walked out. I mean, how are you going to win? We're talking about they left heaven for something better? Really? You, you, heard, you heard about the guy that uh, uh, was, was uh, rescued off a, a, an island. He was marooned on. And um, he, he was asked about uh, a couple of buildings that were there. And he said, what, what's, what's that building? And never mind, I need, I need to keep moving here. Um, God, God said to Michael, come on, let's just get going here. Um, <laughs> Matthew, Matthew chapter 4 was his second attempt when he tempted Christ and tried to get him to sin. Now imagine how preposterous that was, but he did try it. And then, and then, and then with that, linked with that, was was killing him at Calvary and thinking, okay, we did it. But of course, he didn't anticipate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the third big push here during the tribulation period. This is the third big push. And the fourth will be in Revelation chapter 20 after the millennial reign of Jesus Christ at the battle of Gog and Magog. So let's go back now to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. And we left off at verse 16. So let's pick up a little bit of context here in verse 11. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. And we noted that word many showing up again and again and again. And it's associated with negative things. Iniquity rising and people's love diminishing and things of that nature. And and he says... But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. And verse 13, in the context, is obviously those going through the tribulation period have got to endure to the end. And you say, what does that mean? Well, when you go to the book of Revelation, in the book of Revelation, the Bible's very clear. The mark of the beast is going to be in effect. The Antichrist is going to be ruling the world. The church is going to be out of the way. Uh, Can you imagine how chaotic it's going to be in this world when every Christian is taken out all at once? All at once, just like that. And and look, I know that not every believer in this world is the salt of the earth the way we should be, but that's a lot of salt taken out of the earth, folks. And and one one of the qualities of salt is that it preserves. And all that which is is holding back, I mean, the moral chaos we're seeing, I don't need to chronicle any of that to convince you this morning, the moral chaos we're seeing, imagine when every Christian in the world is taken out that quick. I mean, the restraints will be gone at that point, and, and it's going to get insane, and, and the Antichrist will be running this world, and a man won't be able to buy or sell or hold a job. Uh, in fact, he will be considered canceled if he doesn't go along with the program. Is that starting to sound familiar? (laughs) 
He'll be considered canceled if he doesn't go along with the program. And part of the program is taking the mark of the beast. And we read about that uh, in, in the book of Revelation. And so uh, a man will have to endure to the end to be saved. And the Bible says in verse 14, in this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Now, keep something in mind. There's, there's a misconception that's gone around ever since the day I was saved almost 50 years ago. I used to hear people talk about, well, just before Jesus comes back for the church, there's going to be a great revival, a great revival. And I kept wondering, where is that in the Bible? The Bible talks about apostasy in the last days. Where's this great revival? Well, this is a misunderstanding of verse 14. If you look at it, the Bible says in this gospel, not of the grace of God, not of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, but this gospel of the kingdom. You say, what's the gospel of the kingdom? The king is coming. The king is coming. And we read about it in the book of Revelation, and there's 144,000 Jewish preachers, 12,000 from each tribe, that'll be preaching this gospel of the kingdom. It'll be not unlike John the Baptist when he heralded Christ here for the first time as the king of Israel and said, behold, the Lamb of God. Here he is. Here's your king. Make the crooked place, crooked path straight and the rough places plain. And uh, it, it'll be the same type of preaching, getting ready for a king. It, it has to do with an earthly, physical, visible, literal, political kingdom on this earth. And by the way, at the end of the tribulation period, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back as King of kings and Lord of lords, he will put everything straight for 1,000 years. And he won't need an election to do it. Verse 15 when you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, <coughs> spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. Now we looked at this. We went to Daniel chapter 9. And we saw Daniel's 70th week. And, and we saw that at some point, at some point as we cross-reference this back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the Antichrist, who has, has, has had a covenant with Israel that was signed to allow them to build their temple. Now think of it. Think of that hot spot in this world, the Dome of the Rock. And, and somehow or another, the Antichrist is a political mastermind is going to work things out so the Jews can have their temple again in the presence of all those Arab nations. Uh, amazing, you say. It is. And, and he'll be hailed as a, as a political uh, wonder man. And, and he's going to break that covenant halfway through the week, halfway through those seven years, three and a half years. And the Bible says he's going to go into the Holy of Holies. He's going to sit down on the holy place and declare himself to be God. And Jesus references this as the abomination of desolation. Notice what he says then in verse 16. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child 
and to them which give suck in those days. By the way, I, I, I hear this often, and it disturbs me when I hear it from Christians. People saying, I'm not going to have kids. I'm not going to have kids. Not in this world anymore. Folks, what if, I, I got thinking about if, if my wife and I would have adopted that attitude almost 50 years ago when we accepted Christ as our Savior and shortly thereafter and we got married. I'm glad I didn't adopt that attitude. What's Jesus saying here? He's not saying don't have kids. He's just saying that if you're around for that particular event, having kids is going to make things more difficult. Uh, look at verse 20. He, he says essentially the same thing, but he, he just says it in the context of the Sabbath. He says in 20, but pray that your flight be not in the winter, uh, neither on the Sabbath day. He's just saying <clears throat> it's going to get pretty rugged then. And having kids is going to make things more difficult. And if it's on the Sabbath day, it's going to be more difficult. But he didn't say, don't have kids. And he didn't say to those Jews, don't observe the Sabbath either. That's not what he was saying. Have children. Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. Amen. Children are a delight. And uh, that's not what the Lord's saying. I, I, I hate to hear that, uh, that kind of cynicism. Now look at verse 21. All these events mark something important, a turning point in the tribulation period. And if you look at verse 21, for then shall be, not tribulation, great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. Now, you can go backwards in history from, from today all the way back as far as you want, and Jesus says there's never been anything like it. And you can go forward if you could, which you can't, and he says there's not ever going to be anything like it. Now, have you ever just thought of that statement and wondered, wow, how bad can it be? When you consider some of the things, you consider world wars, just, just as a starter, and, 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 and the epicenter of those world wars, all we have to do is go to the book of Revelation and start reading it. And once you get past chapter 4 and you start seeing the, the bowl judgments and the vile judgments and the seals and the dooms and the woes, and the person and work of the Antichrist, and, and, and it's just, oh man, just as honestly, I'm not trying to make light of anything, but just this little COVID thing we went through, the way it threw everything into a tailspin worldwide. And folks, compared to pandemics historically, I mean, honestly, it, it was a weenie roast compared to a forest fire. It really was. I mean, in the middle of all that, I got kept hearing about the Spanish flu and the influenza uh, around the time of the First World War. So I, I grabbed the book and started reading about it. In fact, I'm not sure we didn't put that book in the bookstore. But um, 
just compared to that particular influenza, what we went through was nothing. And I look at the way it threw everything and, and, and governments and people into a tailspin. Folks, when you start reading the book of Revelation, the stuff that's going to be going on, I mean, people going to the water, uh, going to get some tap water and turning the water on and blood coming out. I mean, it's just, and so Christ said, this is going to be a time of great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And then he says in verse 22, except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. It'll be a short three and a half year period at that back half of Daniel's 70th week. It'll seem like an eternity for those who are struggling through it, trying to stay right with God, avoid the mark of the beast, and, and, and not get caught up in all of that. And then notice what he says in verse 20, 23. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Now again, we get back to something Christ started out with earlier in the chapter. He warns us about being deceived. Do you want to, one of the first things you need to understand to keep from being deceived? Fact number one, to keep from being deceived is to understand that you can be deceived. The minute you say, not me, the devil's got you halfway there. He's warned. He's saying, he's saying, look at verse 24, that if it were possible, they shall deceive who? The very what? Not the biblically ignorant. Huh? <laughs> Not somebody who's totally secular. He's saying the very elect. And let me say this up front. You've heard me say it, and I'll say it again. The best way to keep from being deceived is filter everything through this book. Don't filter this, this book through everything else. Filter everything else through the Bible. And, and, and so number one, we need to understand that it can happen. That's why Christ warns us again and again and again. And he says in verse 25, Behold, I have told you before. Now, I want, I want you to notice something here. I want you to notice something here. Um, and by the way, look, don't say to yourself, well, you know, I, I, I only listen to uh, right-wing conspiracy theories. I don't listen to the left-wing kooks, okay? Okay, do you know why the left-wing stuff is there? It's for the left-wing kooks. Do you know why the right-wing stuff is there? It's for the right-wing kooks. All I'm saying is the devil's got a wrench for every nut. So we, we need to understand, we need to understand that the devil's gonna feed us deceptions that agree with our palate. Okay? We're not gonna, I'm not gonna fall for something on the left. It, it all looks ridiculous to me. I was watching something on YouTube not too long ago, and this guy was carping about the vehicles we drive. And, and, and I said to my wife, watch this. And I was really glad I watched it. I watched it for about, I, I could handle 15 minutes of it. 
And this guy, every time he gets out of bed in the morning and, and, and gets in his vehicle, which I don't know what it would be, I think it's probably a Fred Flintstone mobile, where you run with your feet and, and, it, and it rolls, because everything else was, was verboten, you know. And I, I said to her, I said, could you imagine how aggravating every day is to him? Seeing people in their unnecessary big pickup trucks, their socially irresponsible vehicles, <laughs> I mean, this guy, in the end, I said to my wife, I said, he'd tell us when to blow our nose <laughs> and how far we could drive and when and how. Look, that's not going to appeal to me. If the devil's going to throw something at me, he's going to throw something at me on this side of the equation. Keep that in mind. Now, I want you to see something here that I think is interesting because it really dovetails with a lot of what's going on today. If you look at verse 26, Christ says, Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert. Go not forth. Behold, he is in the what chambers? Secret chambers what? Believe it not. What's the Lord saying? He's saying it's not going to be this hush-hush stuff. It's not going to be this secret thing. It's not going to be this thing that two or three of the really wise people that understand the hieroglyphics of the time found out. It's not going to be like that. It's not going to be like that. Hey, folks, I've told you before, don't worry about the news behind the news. The news itself is bad enough. <laughs> okay? What's Jesus saying? It's going to be obvious. Look at, the, look at the very next verse. He says, verse 27, For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. He said, look, when I show up, Everybody's going to see it. Everybody's going to know it. You're not going to have to dig around in caves to find it. <laughs> so don't let anybody lead you into a cave. And, and by the way, folks, until he does come back, our marching orders are the same. Our marching orders are the same. Hey, if you want to prep, prep. Prep a little extra for me, okay? Uh, you know, if... If you want to get involved in a little of this and a little of that, but God didn't call us to dig a hole and, and hide in a cave. He told us to set our lights on a hill, on a mountain, where everybody can see it. And what is that light? That light is the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ for the salvation of lost men's souls. And that's why we should proclaim it everywhere we go one-on-one, -on -one, in person, give people gospel tracts, lay gospel tracts around, tell others about Christ, go out on the streets, go door-to-door, -door, tell your neighbors, tell your co-workers, tell your friends, tell your schoolmates, whatever the case may be, but our marching orders are the same until the Lord takes us home to be with Him. So watch out for all this secret, whispery little stuff that nobody else ever knew before, you know, I found out that, and I've told you before, when it comes to prophecy, we have to be careful because one thing is clear, much of what we see, we see through a glass darkly. And when somebody comes up with too many of the specifics, too many of the specifics, and they find out something nobody else has ever seen, it's very possible that they discovered something that God is not aware of <laughs> in his word. <laughs> 
And I've met a few of them, and you got to be careful with that. So what Jesus is saying is this is going to be open. And when he comes back, it'll be like the lightning coming out of the east and shining unto the west, and, and so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. And then look at verse 28. Christ references something uh, very terrible, the worst war mankind has ever seen. Now, think of all the wars that have ever been waged, all the wars that have ever been waged, and he's referencing, he's referencing the battle of Armageddon. He says in verse 28, for wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. The massacre will be so great that the birds of prey are going to be very important in cleaning up the mess. Now again, not a pretty picture, but the Lord is laying it out there for us that we might understand what's coming, and we might understand that he's in control, and that we might understand that he is, he is sovereign, and as sobering as these things are, God is still on his throne. Nothing takes him by surprise. I talked to you uh, a couple of weeks back about these uh, mega rich men. And, and let's go there again. Let's keep your hand here and flip over to James chapter 5. We got a couple minutes we can, we can spend on this just to remind ourselves of something. But I think it's so interesting how the Lord references this. And, and uh, I'm old enough to remember when a, being a millionaire was a big deal. Now, doesn't seem like anything anymore. Now it's billionaires, and a few of them are, are edging closer to becoming trillionaires, if such a thing is possible. And, and, and we look at what a lot of them are doing with their money. Um, I got some stuff here that I just, uh, you know, I'm not going to bore you with reading all this, but Bill Gates is the largest private owner of farmland in the United States. And uh, this guy that writes this article, uh, one of the things that he says, he says this, he says, the United States is defined by the excesses of its ruling class, but why do a handful of people own so much land? And he goes on to talk about some things, and, and, and he finally says this, he says, the principal danger of private farmland owners like Bill Gates is not their professed support of sustained, sustainable agriculture, often found in philanthropic work. It's the monopolistic role they play in determining our food systems and land use patterns. He says the average person has nothing in common with mega landowners like Bill Gates or Ted Turner. The land we all live on should not be the sole property of a few. The extensive tax avoidance by these titans of industry will always far exceed their supposed charitable donations to the public. The billionaire knows best mentality detracts from the deep-seated rea realities of colonialism. And he says, these billionaires have nothing to offer us in terms of saving the planet unless it's, unless it's in giving us our land back. And you know, with Bill Gates, it's that, and he's made it clear, he thinks the herd needs to be called. I wonder why these guys don't get in the front of that line and volunteer themselves. Just to set an example for the rest of us. And then we can decide what we'll do later. Uh, George Soros is almost legendary these days with his uh, funding for campaigns 
these DAs in various states and these guys that are just totally soft on crime and we're seeing the results of it in some of our big cities now. And I mean, up until the recent decades, these kind of things were, were, were unheard of. Men with money and power to the point where they can practically control our lives, or at least they would like to. And uh, let's take a look at it over here in James chapter 5. And James chapter 5, he says in verse 1, he says, Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you. And uh, when gold and silver are devalued, that's one of the terms economically that they'll use. They'll, they'll call it, it's rusting. And he says, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the what? Last days. Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth, and the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. By the way, and again, I'm not going to take waste the time to chronicle this. Most of us are aware of it. You do understand that the middle class is disappearing, not only in this country, but in the rest of the world. And, and I see verse 4 written all over that. And he says, ye have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. Ye have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. Ye have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. And we could go on and on with that. But uh, again, what's the word of God doing? The word of God is, is telling us tomorrow's news before tomorrow's news even takes place. And so uh, Christ says this will be open. And Christ says that he will establish a kingdom uh, for 1,000 years. If we had the time this morning, if we had the time this morning, we'd go to the book of Revelation. Well, let's look at it. Let's just go to Revelation chapter 19 and whet our appetites a little bit. But how does all this wind up? How does all this wind up? It winds up with Jesus Christ returning, and he's going to take over as King of kings and Lord of lords. He's not going to have to win any elections to do it either. He's not going to have to win any elections. And by the way, if you're, if you're not filthy rich, thank God. I've watched these guys, and I've listened, and I've read, and I've contemplated, and I just think having a, a nickel's worth of normalcy would, would be a, 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 a world of, eff, of effort. Um, I know a lot of them, they, they live their lives swimming in their ego, but uh, sooner or later, it's got to catch up with you. And it's, it's like multimillionaire John D. Rockefeller years ago once said, uh, was once asked, how much does it take to satisfy a man completely? And he replied, it takes a little bit more than he has. <laughs> so you know what? I, I've often prayed, God, put me right in there in Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9. Just feed me with food convenient for me. I don't want to have poverty, but I, I don't want to be filthy rich either. I want to have to depend on the Lord, but I'm glad he supplies. He supplies so abundantly, doesn't he? Folks, most of us this afternoon, we're going to eat well for lunch. In fact, most of us are going to eat too well this week, right? 
All the discussion is going to be how to dump a few pounds. God's been good to us. And so, you know, you look at the things going on around you. Let's go to Revelation chapter 19, and we'll wind this up, and we'll see how it winds up. What's Jesus referencing here? Well, among other things, he's referencing Revelation 19. And you look at verse 11. The Bible says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he does judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and his, on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed in a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God, and the armies which were in heaven, that's us, followed him on white horses. So you say, well, I don't know how to ride a horse. I believe the Lord will give you lessons up there. Amen. Clothed in fine linen, white and clean, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. Remember, the nations of the world would be gathered together under the reign of the Antichrist against Israel to try to finally eliminate the Jews or perform what Hitler called the final solution. And the Bible says he's going to smite those nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Folks, be encouraged this morning. God's got the whole thing under control. In the end, he comes out on top. The devil and his cohorts lose. Our marching orders are the same. And if the news of this week gets discouraging to you, let me encourage you to do something. Read Psalm 37. I'm not going to take the, the time this morning to read it to you, but read Psalm 37. And when it seems like the wicked are getting away with everything, read Psalm 37. They're not. They're not. Stand with God. Stand with Jesus Christ. Be a witness for him. It's still worth living for him. Don't throw your hands up in the air and say, what's the use? Don't throw your hands up the air and say, well, if you can't beat them, join them. Stand with God. Be part of the faithful remnant. Like Noah. Eight souls. Eight souls made it through the flood. Be part of that faithful remnant. And you're going to come out on the winning side because God's going to win in all this, folks. He's going to win. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. And we thank you, Father, that in the end, the Lord Jesus Christ will come and rule and reign. And he will be King of kings and Lord of lords. And more than anything else, he'll get the praise and the honor and the glory that he deserves. You told us, Lord, he came the first time as a lamb. And he's coming back the second time as the lion of the tribe of Judah to rule and to reign. Father, help us, Lord, as we go through these last days as part of a remnant that believes what your word says. Help us to be faithful in telling others about the death, burial, and resurrection of that lamb that was slain for their sins. Help us, Lord, to be soul winners all. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and take our hymnals and turn to number 589. 
Jesus is coming again, number 589. Marvelous message we bring, glorious carol we sing, wonderful word of the King, Jesus is coming again, coming again, coming again. Let's go ahead and pray and bow your heads, please. Heavenly Father, we, we come to you. We thank you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for bringing us all together again this morning, bringing us underneath the, uh, the truth of your word. And we are all aware of our lack of patience. And so we are rejoicing insofar as we are also reminded of your faithfulness, your graciousness, the integrity of your power, the goodwill of your person. Thank you, Father. Thank you for, what, for reminding us what we would too easily ourselves neglect, what the world does not know. Thank you for causing us to remember the death, the burial, the resurrection, the enthronement of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we ask that you would help us to come back this evening our brother Fulcher, bring to his mind all that he should say, help him to deliver it to the graduates in the spirit that is required, help them to hear, and help us to thank you for your mercies. 
In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.